This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 33 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and this is a very special episode featuring more guests than we've ever had on at one time before, seven, all of whom are nominated for the Best Original Song Oscar. That's because this is a recording of the second annual THR Billboard Song Summit, which involves us gathering the song nominees following the Oscar nominees' luncheon for a conversation about their lives, careers, and the songs for which they are nominated. This year's participants, Sam Smith and Jimmy Napes, who composed the music and lyrics for the song Writings on the Wall from the Bond film Spectre. Lady Gaga and Diane Warren, who composed the music and lyrics for the song Till It Happens to You for a documentary about the epidemic of sexual assault on American college campuses, The Hunting Ground. David Lang, who composed the music and lyrics for the song Simple Song No. 3 from the indie drama Youth. Jay Ralph, who composed the music for the song Manta Ray from the environmentalist documentary Racing Extinction. His lyricist, Anthony Hegarty, was unable to join us. All I've known, I am dying now. Inside me, my children. And last but certainly not least, Stefan Macchio, who composed the music and lyrics to the song Earned It from the blockbuster literary adaptation Fifty Shades of Grey. His collaborators in that process, Belly, Jason Kenville, and The Weeknd, were unable to join us. So without further ado, let's go to this one-of-a-kind conversation with seven remarkable musical artists. Thank you all for joining us for the second annual THR Billboard Song Summit, where we celebrate the nominees for the Best Original Song Oscar. So first of all, congratulations to all of you for getting that honor. And I don't believe that there's ever been a gathering of you guys like this before, right? Aside from we just came from the Oscar nominees luncheon, but just out of curiosity, how many of you know each other before today? Well, I'm the biggest Gaga fan there is. I queued up for her shows when I was 17. Wow. Come on. I went for it overnight. I love him. I, no, I feel like I know him so like deeply, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I was so crazy being up on that stage today and seeing him standing there nominated and knowing that, you know, like 
at some point he loved my music and I loved his music so much. It was so cool. And how about the rest of you guys, even just in terms of having heard each other's work, if you can share any thoughts on that? Josh? Yeah, I mean, I know Diane, we always see each other, uh, you know, coming out here all the time. But, uh, and yeah, huge fans of everybody's work and uh, it's a great honor. I know this person. <laughs> right. There are a few collaborators here that we'll talk about and, uh, and how you came to work with each other. But to begin with, let's talk about how you first came to the project that you're nominated for and in which your song is featured. And to begin with, Diane Gaga, you two had not worked together before. We but, talked about it. But had talked about it. You now wound up working on a documentary about the epidemic of sexual assault on American college campuses. Diane, I believe you were on board first and then recruited Gaga for yeah, this. Yeah. What drew you to it? And and Gaga, what made you say yes when Diane came calling? I felt compelled to um, be involved in this when I heard about th this movie and, and, and some of these girls' stories. I'd had my own situation with sexual assault, um, and I felt I felt compelled to be a part of this. And I called her, and she was kind and brave enough to be a part of it as well with me. Gaga, you had known certainly for a long time about Diane's work. What, aside from working with her, drew you to this particular project? Well, you know, I always wanted to work with Diane, and I have always really looked up to her. And this amazing film uh, was kind of a shocking moment that happened when Diane brought it to me. She's, she's like, I want you to watch this and I want you to tell me what you think and I want you to you know, make a song with me for it. And I, I have this idea. Uh, and I think what her idea was was for two women with a history with sexual assault to come together and make something honest. And uh, I was really grateful to her for calling me and I'm still grateful to her. She doesn't write with a lot of people or collaborate. And uh, she um, really allowed me to be in there with her and, and make something special. Yeah. Terrific. David, your music has been heard in films going back to Requiem for a Dream, Darren Aronofsky's great film. But talk about your association with Paolo Sorrentino, who won the Foreign Language Oscar, I guess it was last year, two years ago, right. and how you wound up composing the music for his latest film about a composer. Um, Paolo used my music in The Great Beauty. I didn't know him then, but, you know, um, I'm a classical musician. My music is out and people license it. And so he liked it. He put it in the movie. And when it premiered in the Western Hemisphere, he said, um, come up to Toronto. We'll talk. You know, I have an idea to talk to you about. And he was just at the beginning stages of planning a movie that would be about a classical composer. So, um, so he asked me some questions about how composers think and how we manage our emotional lives. And then he asked me if I wanted to do the music for this movie. And of course, you know, I, I think I said yes before he was finished <laughs> asking me. And uh, that's really what happened. So we were involved, you know, planning this movie um, before the script was done, before the cast was made. You know, we just started talking about what this song would mean in this film and what the music would do and how it would reveal the narrative about this um, person, the Michael Caine character. Sure. Stefan, you're a composer and arranger who's worked with so many people we all know and love, from Celine Dion's A New Day Has Come to Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball. And oddly enough, I believe that's sort of responsible for your collaboration with The Weeknd and the two other folks with whom you guys are nominated for song earned it. Can you talk about how you all wound up writing music for one of the most highly and hotly anticipated literary adaptations in a long time, Fifty Shades of Grey? For better or for worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I had just moved here from Canada uh, two years ago, and <clears throat> I'm a classical pianist as well. What had happened was uh, a lot of people had been pitching me as, as sort of uh, the guy to sort of potentially compose the, the Christian Grey sub-themes in the movie. And um, Miley Cyrus' song, Wrecking Ball, had just hit. I had barely been living here for a week, and uh, it was the number one song in the country. I got called into the head of studios to, to potentially pitch a song for Fifty Shades. The irony is I wrote a great song with uh, Skylar Gray. Uh, she's a phenomenal artist as well, and, and we actually had the first song that made the cut for the movie. And they were temping the entire movie for the entire year with this Skylar Gray song called I Know You. I had the end credit with her, and then Sam Taylor Johnson, 
and Dan Asano, who happens, Sam's the, the, the director, and mm-hmm. Sam's, uh, and Dana, sorry, is the music supervisor. They called me in, in December, like literally uh, six weeks before the movie was almost done. Said, we changed the ending, we need a male perspective on the song. I had just met Abel. And we're two Toronto boys. I mean, Abel's yeah. the, the actual name of Abel the weekend. Abel is AKA The Weekend, yeah. and then there's Jason as well, and Belly, our, our collaborators. We're all, we're all Toronto boys. Yeah. And um, uh, skinny is, is that the, you know, Sam was telling me, the director, she wanted this sort of very feel-good, old soul type of song, kind of came back to her, pitched um, after seeing some parts of the movie, uh, the, the beginning parts of Earned It, and they fell in love with it, screened the movie again, uh, wrote it together, and they fell in love with it, and the rest is history. And uh, that's how I ended up having both end titles in Fifty Shades. I bumped my my Skylar Gray song with my own with Abel, which was so perverse. But uh, there you go. There you go, Josh. With your Oscar nom for Manta Ray, you become the first person to ever receive multiple noms for a song from documentaries, which is an amazing thing. And you've previously been nominated three years ago for Before My Time from Chasing Ice. One of your many specialties is social activist docs. And perhaps the first of those was the documentary The Cove with the same person who directed Racing Extinction, Louis Sahoyos. And so how did you two first cross paths and how did you wind up with this particular assignment? I think uh, Bennett Miller actually introduced us. Um, you know, uh, I met Louis on The Cove and the way I, I see it is that, I mean, these are very tough issues, and I applaud Gaga and Diane as well. Um, both Racing Extinction and The Hunting Ground, um, the songs help the, the audience relate on an emotional, resonant level that maybe the facts and the figures are, are too tough to comprehend for a lot of people. It, maybe, maybe people don't have a connection to it. Maybe they don't understand or can't really empathize with it and then when you create a song it's a whole other world that allows people to um, interact with the you know the film and the narrative of the the film and and it's it's something that I've tried to use to amplify these messages same like we did with Sia for Racing Extinction or Liza Minnelli last year just different you know trying to find people in culture for the different uh, you know, themes to have, have people relate to it. Sam and Jimmy, your collaboration certainly precedes this Golden Globe winning song. Can you talk about how you two first met and also what it was like when this offer came in to do a Bond song as guys who, as I understand it, grew up as big fans of Bond films? When I met Sam, he was 19 and he was working in a bar in St. Paul's. Um, and I heard him sing and just thought it was like he sang like an angel. It was amazing. And um, we wrote the song Lay Me Down, which was the first song we wrote together, and kind of never looked back. We've been writing ever since. And we got um, the opportunity to do a Bond film, which is a dream come true for me and, and Sam, I know, because especially being British, it's kind of like the most amazing thing. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we gave it a go, and then to be sat here is just ridiculous. Really. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's like, the Bond for me, we, we wrote a song actually, and you remember it, we wrote it like the fourth time we'd ever met, we wrote this song, and um, we felt it sounded a little bit Bondy, and ever since then, um, it's, just, it's just this ultimate dream for me. It's something that I really wanted to get to at some point in my life. I just didn't think it would happen this soon, mm-hmm. um, but just given that opportunity was amazing. I. Um, I read the script, got given the script by Barbara Broccoli and met with Sam Mendes and, um, and we just had a go and people keep asking if we felt this pressure but we just, we were just excited, just purely excited and um, it's been a whirlwind but um, yeah, it's amazing, I just feel like a fan coming and watching everyone, it's great. <laughs> well let's delve into how the music and lyrics of these songs actually came together and to begin with David, your Pulitzer Prize winner, your Yale professor and yet even you are not above looking at Google searches for inspiration when it comes to yeah. uh, music. Can you talk about how this came together? Yeah, this was, a, I, I was trying to find something that would make it so the song would be universal. You know, I didn't want it to be about this character, his relationship to his wife or his relationship to his past. I wanted people to watch the film and think about their own lives and their own loves and, you know, the the secrets that they have that they don't want to share with other people that are too personal, you know. I think that's, we all make these things, they're personal to us, we share them to the world, and the world hears them differently, but they mean something special to us that's very um, uh, precious and, and 
so I was trying to think of what that really is and what would be that, like that for everybody. And, and I thought it's sort of like that's a whisper. You know, it's like a conversation between you and your loved one is a whisper. And then you send the thing out to the world and it's something else. Um, so I just, out of curiosity, went to the internet and I just Googled in, um, when you whisper my name, I, and how do I feel? When, what do people feel when, when their loved ones whisper their names? And it was just a list of these incredibly, like that's right, yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot of pornography, and there's a lot of <laughs> things that say bad things about other people, you know, and a lot of things I can't quote, you know. <laughs> but it seemed like there were a lot of things that, um, that were really personal and really intimate. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I thought because they had come from the internet, they were in a way sort of everyone saying the thing that was important to them. So I made the lyrics out of that. And just to uh, follow up to that, I believe a kind of barometer for how the song was coming along in consultation with Sorrentino, who's a picky guy, was whether it was evoking a certain emotion from him? Well, he wanted it, he didn't really care exactly what emotion it was, but he wanted it to be really emotional. He wanted to um, be able to cry. So I remember I sent him one of the last demos and he wrote me back, um, David, I am crying a little, but I need to cry a lot. Yeah. Send him some onions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so you would tinker and tinker and then... So I did. I tried to figure out how to do that. Amazing. And Josh, your song is titled Manta Ray, but you wrote its music before joining forces with Anthony Hegarty of uh, Anthony and the Johnstons, mm -hmm. who is a friend of yours, I think, for a while back. Before you joined with her, you were aware of a different species that was endangered, mm. and that sort of shaped manta ray, right? Yeah, well, I actually wanted to call the song Racing Extinction. Oh. <laughs> Anoni, formerly known as Anthony, yeah. uh, she really loved the title manta ray because, well, there's a couple of things. The melody of that song came about when I was invited up to the Cornell Bioacoustic Laboratory, and Chris Clark, who's a scientist, and Luis Ahoyas, uh, the director of the film, played me a recording of the male O.O. bird. Uh, this is a bird that uh, mates for life. And uh, in this recording, the bird was singing his mating call, uh, unaware that he was the last of his species. So there was no response to the call. You know, you see the audio waveform, and he shows the previous recording where he would sing, and then the little bird would answer, and he would sing, and then the little bird would answer, and he just sings, and you see the agitation and the anxiety in the waveform, almost in disbelief, like, where's the call? Like, where's the, how come she's not writing back? And I knew then that the song had to be the kind of response to honor. Obviously, by the time I got to the project, that species had expired already. Um, and so the whole theme, the whole film was based around this, uh, uh, the, that bird. Um, the first time we really hear this song uh, in the piano arrangement form, it's with uh, the manta rays swimming. And they're, they're the kind of um, species uh, that gets really brutalized in the film. So um, that's kind of where, where it, it, it came to be, uh, the, the title of it. Diane Gaga, obviously, as you've said, this was a very personal song for you in terms of the content. In terms of the music and the lyrics just coming together, when you first sat down, I believe that some of the lyrics and music were starting to come together. And Gaga, something you did with them was make them a bit more defiant. And I messed them up. You yeah. them up. <laughs> I ruined the song. No. Well, I want. No, I just love way, to in hear. a great way. So, well, Diane, tell yeah. us what was the motivation for what you initially put down. It started out like just wanting to just honor these stories and th what these girls went through. And these, when you see, you know, when you hear the stories, like I heard about it before I even saw the movie, and it just like infuriates you. It just pisses you off, and you realize that it happens, you know, not just on college campuses, but it happens everywhere. You know, it happens in our culture. We, we, Gaga and I did a New York Times talk. Um, we sat, remember we did that? I said, how many people out there have dealt with any kind of sexual um, assault? The whole room's hands got, you know, stood up, you know? It was just like, oh my God, this is like such a, so I had my own experience with it. It, it, it you know, just, it had to be done. And I, and I called you and, and I was just, I said, like, do you like how this is starting out? And 
she was, I didn't know how it would go. I know. was basically like, yeah. no. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> she, no, but, She's like, it could have gone either no, way. No, that's what happened. It's what, ha what happened is she brought it to me and she's like, what do you think? Do you want to sing this? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, I, I, it's, not, it's not how I would sing it. And it's not how I would do it. And I think it needs to be more like this. And she's like, well, I don't write with anyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's what, exactly what happened. Right. Yeah. And, and I said, well, you know, look, it's too personal to me. And I feel something too strongly about it that I can't be a part of this unless I can really believe in it. Right. And what I feel that the melody became as a part of me working on it with her is there's some sour turns in the melody now that weren't there when she first sang it to me. Right, it's right. the way that I wanted the song to go from a more complicated space and not as simple. And Diane is like, but it has to be classic, but it has to be forever. And like, it has <laughs> to like stand the test of time. And I said, I know that, but like being, a, sexually assaulted is complicated. And that has to be reflected in the music. It's not all coming up Rose's pop song over here. So, you know, my contribution really to it was not only kind of adding these sour notes throughout the verses and jumps and moves in what was initially something that was very simple and quiet. I made it much louder and I made it more complicated. And there was a, an extra like bar in the chorus. Yeah. And then I yeah. felt that the song needed to move more and I felt like it needed to feel more like a rock song. And uh, I also really wanted the uh, music underneath it. She always is giving me a hard time about using like jazzy chords. <laughs> I, I do that one right now. I'm like, no, She's those. like, please don't do that. But anyway, so, so I'm, I'm appreciative uh, to her for that because, because through that, when we were working, I was really able to connect to what we were doing and feel that uh, it was authentic to who I am. Yeah. So absolutely. thank you. Well, That's one of the you. first things I thank said you. to Diane when I heard it. I said, "Wow, I mean, you know, it's a beautiful song." And I said, "The arrangement's amazing." And you were like, "That was all Gaga." Yeah, she was I like, had nothing to do with any yeah, of that. Yeah, she, you know, she let me. She was like, "You have to produce the song." Yeah. And I called. I remember that. Yeah, she said. Um, Stephen Aremis to work oh. on the strings with us, oh my God, and genius. he's amazing. But you know, just like having that kind of female empowerment from someone in your life, and having somebody say, "Hey, it's important to me that this happened to you." And, uh, and you were and like, she was so brave to even take this on, to even, I have to like, so were commend you. you. I know, we both had our, we all were, right? I mean, know. like, it was, it's like amazing thing music. I just feel really happy to be here with all of you. I can just feel everybody's passion. And you're saying you're classically trained musicians. I, I've been playing classical piano since I was four. To be sitting here is like the absolute highest honor. And then you have people like me who like suck. Oh, stop it. <laughs> She's like, quintessential like, like queen of the table. I know. Like, I mean, we're all looking I know, at her. She keeps we all grew so up on you, Diane. It's, like, it's actually yeah. a really, it, it's an incredible group of songs. Everybody's songs. I mean, you never know how it's going to shake out. In the end, it's kind of abstract contest. So sometimes it's more, you know, very popular songs or something you don't understand it. And these are all really interesting and sophisticated songs. I mean, which serve the films in such unique ways. It's, right. uh, because, I mean, you have two songs here that are so serious and, and, and so important, yeah. if you know what I mean. If, and and um, that's not to diminish what we're, we're, we're all doing here. I'm just saying, then we've got just great written songs in, in, in total. But I mean, but you know, you kind of go, I, you, how do you even compare both songs? You can't, you know, you, you have would, a song that's really Representing such a serious topic, and then and then and then you have a song. I'll speak on behalf of our song, which is just representing a strong male perspective in a love relationship, you know, an S and M relationship. So I mean, you well, want to come you, to no, me? Yeah, okay. so we're coming. Can you tell so, us more about that? Well, that's so, we're, 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 well, hold on, let <laughs> me set it up for you. Experience? Not from personal, from my <laughs> perspective, because I'm, I deal primarily with with music and track right. and melody. As, as you didn't as, have any S and M experience. That's disappointing. Let's let's talk about earned it because it is probably the thing that more songs have been written about than any other subject in history, but you guys find so many different ways to approach it in this song, and I just want to ask you how you decided, you know, without 
you don't spell out exactly what you're talking about, but everybody gets it in the. Of song. course, yeah. uh, you know, and, and you know, a great written pop song or any song for that matter is typically one that's ambiguous enough that you're able to extract your own meaning right. from it. Right. Okay, I so, think so too. Okay, <laughs> of course. Yeah. Just yeah. enough. <laughs> Just no, enough. Even, even ours. You okay, take, of course. You, you take what you, what you, and you extrapolate it and you say, I, I needed that. Yeah. I needed that line that it made me stronger today. And uh, when you, and particularly when it's blasted, we've had the privilege of having our songs heard by millions and millions of people. And that's a gift. Um, but back to the experience with, with Ernest, when Sam came back and she said, you know what, I really need this to be from a male perspective. I mean, Abel and I already had our own respective songs in the movie. Um, he already had a cut, I had a cut. Sam was in love with his sexual aura. I mean, he's a very um, enigmatic artist, Abel, Tesfaye, the, the weekend. And, and then, you know, when it came down to writing the song, I mean, I, I'm not lyrics primarily. There's, you know, we've got Belly and, and, and uh, Abel who, who take care of that. And you have Jason and I who take care of more of the music and tracks. But we, I mean, collectively, we all come together. And I, I, I know one thing. When Sam was referencing songs that were feel-good songs, I mean, you know, Marvin Gaye, uh, James Brown, Al Green, all these kind of songs. And, and, and who would have ever guessed a waltz would actually close the end credit of, you know, such a dramatic, you know, love for better or for worse, the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, it had a stark ending where you know she closes the elevator and she says goodbye. Fuck you. Spoiler alert. Yeah, exactly. Spo <laughs> spo spoiler alert. That? And and um, and then and then you enter with this this sweet voice, That's Abel going, and then boom, da 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 da. Um, that that was a really unique moment because I remember when we were we were all in the studio and we had uh, we stumbled upon that. I was sitting at the piano. The keyboard. I was actually I had you know have a great string collection of sounds that kind of imitate they're the real thing, and and when I was playing the dun 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 dun, dun that's what I do in my sleep. And then I had Jason and Abel going, that shit is so dope. Record it, and then you know that became sort of the genesis and the foundation of that song. And you know and the rest is kind of history, I guess, from there. And, and you were able to sort of, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of, of Abel's perspective from a lyrical perspective, but. Um, but he's suave. He's he understands women uh, clearly. Uh, he's had uh, you know experience, and 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 um, it worked with the director, yeah. and it worked to serve the film. This episode is made possible by PwC. When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce. Use intelligent automation and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Well, I want to ask Sam and Jimmy if you can clarify something that I've heard, which is, I, I guess... I know what you're going to say. This is proof. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're going to say. This is proof of that inspiration can come in many forms. Did you guys do this in less than a half hour? No. Is that no, 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 no. It got, it got completely taken out of my mouth. got completely taken out of my mouth. <laughs> no, that got taken out of my mouth. Basically, the way that me and Jimmy write is he gets behind the piano and I'm standing there and we sing and we just go through ideas, ideas, ideas until we are literally running around the room screaming because we're feeling it so much in our body. And um, normally that takes a good hour, two hours before we're just, well, not, we're not talking lyrics, we're just talking something right, about yeah. something that just makes you an scream. Idea. Yeah. The initial idea came very quickly. And that came quickly. But the, the, the chords that are in the song I actually wrote years before just by myself because I, in the hope that one day I could write a Bond song, which is kind of <laughs> weird. But I was just like, I was playing them and I was like, I need to remember these just in case because that would be a dream come true. So well, when we it's got the good thing <laughs> that you hid them away, <laughs> darling. So when we got the chords, Sam said we've got a chance well at this. Done. I was like, well, 
I've got some chords I think might be cool and then wow. we, we it was just it was that just qu it was quick it was quick for I thought if we were going to attempt this it would take ages and also the day that we wrote this song we were actually revocaling the song Lay Me Down in a separate studio and during takes vocal takes Jimmy just started playing these chords and I was like whoa 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 we need to leave for a second we just went in the next room and wrote the song so it was just unplanned and the the melodies came a little bit quicker than amazing I and another thing that distinguishes this from pretty much I think any other Bond song is the vulnerability in both the music and the lyrics that this is a guy who we think of as cocky and having swagger and whatever but you felt a relationship to him Sam that you saw something in him that not everybody's seen right yeah well for, um for me, when it comes to music, I can't do anything else. I just, I, I have to put my heart out there and, and be as vulnerable and, and as honest and as true as I possibly can. Um, and I wasn't going to change that for Bond, you know? Every man, no matter who they are, goes home, sometimes has a little cry. We know. <laughs> <laughs> they do. We know this. And um, yes, for me, darling. it's true. And for me, Daniel Craig as well is... The thing that stands out for me with Daniel Craig is that you see Blonde Bond bleed and you see him cut and hurt and actually not succeeding and, and getting turned away from people and, and I wanted to concentrate on that and just show a little bit of, you know, roughness. Blonde, blonde. Say that really fast. Blonde, 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 blonde. I also appreciate that you needed to clarify that he was blonde as well. Yeah, of course, of course. When we had spoken before, you said, Sam, that you don't play an instrument it often starts with Jimmy on the piano, and it's just sort of a matter of humming at first or exchanging. Yeah, we, it's, it's, there's no rules, really. I've, we really like writing the title first and working backwards because you've got somewhere to aim the for. Title, yeah. You know, if you have the... So I find if you start writing the verse, you can sometimes get lost by the time you get to the chorus. Well, I would love to I ask everybody here. I don't always agree yeah. with that. Yeah, please. I really don't. <laughs> sometimes. Because sometimes I think, you know, I think, you know, there is the, you know, idea you go, oh, you know, the chorus, if you don't have the chorus, then mm -hmm. why write the song at all? But is there only one way to get to the chorus? There's no right way. You know? No, no right of course, way. I think yeah, it's I, a thing. I mean, what I if I, I need to write, so, I mean, I could write course. a verse and then write a chorus and then get rid of the verse and write yeah, a new yeah. verse into that chorus. Agree. I just think it's nice to have, it's not even a title, a sometimes it's, it's just a like, sentence. A concept, you want yeah. to call it. A concept, 100%. Concept. Yeah. 100%. But it's also nice to have good music in the bank. You know, yeah. it's like they have those things from years ago, just sitting around going, I'm going to use this sometime. Yeah. You know, you have a whole repertoire of things that you can do. And I, I, re I use my voice as an instrument as well. Sometimes you'll hit chords and I just sing something weird and then it follows. Sam it's... sings melodies that I can only dream of trying oh. to I have to grab know, my balls so... and... <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way about <laughs> Diane too. You know, I, I really feel that she was extremely open to a completely different protocol for herself. She's used to like finishing a song and then like you go into the studio and you sing it exactly like I wrote it and like you do it in the way that I want like I want you to do it you know with the piano and slowly the whole time like she has a way mm -hmm. and I was like changing things up until the day before going no I like that note better and she's just like I can't even like, like what do you mean she's like what do you mean it's the day before we're mixing tomorrow are you kidding me but you know, you once you throw a guitar part in there I mean I was really feeling Tim's guitar part, my buddy that, you know, we were working on this guitar part, and then you work on that, and then it just, I don't know it, the, for me, the creative process, what I was grateful about working with you is that you let me be my crazy self. Yeah. You know, your crazy and, self and she is, is just genius. so not, <laughs> it's okay. I'm she's good. just I'm not good. that way. I'm she's good. just like, we need to write this, and then it's just like, let's go in, and let's do it, and we'll go home and go to sleep. And I'm like, you know, cutting. Right, because Diane's like a nine to fiver, right? Like, not that, nine to five, no, I'm eight to I want to start working at five. I'm like, I'll teach you at five. She's like, I go to bed at five. I go to bed at five. I get up really A certain level of discipline. Let me ask Josh what it's like to do something that is a little different than many of you here who were sort of collaborating all the way through, or in your case, you did both aspects, the music and the lyrics. So you write the music, and then you hand off, you say, give it your best shot on the lyrics. Well, no, I mean, it's usually I write the whole song. And, right. You know, in this one, I'm referring yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th this particular thing, um, you know, Anoni's one of my favorite artists of all time. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the intimacy and fragility in, in her voice, uh, I've never really 
I mean, you're, you're even at this table, there's some of the greatest singers in the world. Um, and, you know, uh, there's something so special uh, and unique, um, the, the way that she hears things and the way she does things. So um, we watched uh, a lot of the scenes and uh, we discussed kind of what, what uh, she could make it. And um, we had written stuff before. And she went home that night, and uh, I, I expected it to take, uh, you know, weeks or months sometimes, as it does. And she called me 24 hours later, and she says, I think I have something. Can I come down today? And uh, she came down and uh, threw up some mics. And um, I remember, you know, I mean, always when I hear her voice coming through the speakers, I don't know if you feel this way, you know, because Sam's got this amazing mm -hmm. voice. and. Gaga, and you hear it for the first time coming to life like that. It it's, never gets old. I know, it's so, it it's like real old. magic that <laughs> happens. And then hearing the words, I remember the first thing, you know, she did the first take, and she's like, because uh, there's a line um, that uh, I knew was going to be problematic for the producers. Like, uh, and she goes, uh, my children are dying inside of me. And I said, I was like, oh shit, this is, this is definitely not going to fly. Like, and, uh, you know, um, she came in and she's like, you know, what do you think? And I said, I think it's awesome. And she's like, would you change anything? And I said, well, I would never tell you what to change because her, her stuff is so personal. I mean, all the things that she writes about. And I mean, it's like these are very, you know, complicated topics, you know, about being transgender and just intense relationships and different things. And I said, like, um, I said, I, you know, I have your back. So if, this, if we lose the song because of it, um, then so be it. You know, you don't tell an artist like that what to change. And I played it for the, the producers. And uh, they were, like, loving everything. And it got to that point, And they were like, yo, did he, what, did, what did he just say? Because at that point, mm -hmm. it was still Anthony. Was, what did he just say? I said, uh, my children are dying inside of me, meaning Mother Nature, mm -hmm. you know? And he's like, ah, oh, dude, that's like a, that's a real drag. That's a bummer. I'm like, well, you, you made a movie about species extinction, <laughs> saying, saying in a hundred, in a hundred years, in a hundred years, we're gonna lose 50% of all species. And, uh, and then she was like, you know, should I change it? Should I change it? And I was like, nah, fuck it. I think we just leave it. You know, I mean, that's that's what you wrote. That's what it, that's what hit you, and we leave it. And they took the song out of the movie, um, and, and I said, you can't do this. Uh, you have to keep this song. I mean, this, this, this is like one of the you know, national treasures. I mean, it's like such a powerful thing. And in their defense, they always love the song. Uh, but The Cove is the most awarded documentary of all time, and no one saw that movie. Because you know why? It's, I it's saw that movie. Well, I, 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 I saw a second of it. I know. And it's it, I'm <coughs> an animal activist. I know, I know, I know. And I, I don't know, like it still goes on. It, I don't understand. Exactly. I saw one second of and it you, by nobody accident. Can watch it, and yeah. I, can, I can never get so, out of my head. And they Those said, they said, animals. we, we, you know, so these mad. are, you know, um, these documentaries are, you know, they have a, a purpose, like, you know, Hunting Ground and, and Racing Extinction. They, they need, it's not just about being a movie. They need to actually make an act change. So they, they, if they said, we love the song, but if, if people don't see this movie and people don't start changing their behaviors regarding species extinction and the climate, then we're all screwed. So we can't take the chance that people walk away and they go, oh, this is too sad. It's a real downer. The song's really heavy. He's talking about children dying and stuff like that. We can't, you know, and I, it was, Every day, calling them, but we got to put it here. We got to put it there. Let's try it here. Let's try it there. And they kept testing it. And they were, I said, let's cut this whole sequence around the film in the middle. And they were like, no, no, it's not right. Like, then you know, and they were very nice because they loved the song, they loved Anthony, but they would kept trying to make it work, and it just it, it wouldn't it wouldn't work. And, and then uh, you know, I, I even asked them because they wanted me to do something with Sia, and then you know, uh, I, I, t I told them I have to check with her first because I didn't want to. You know, that was the relationship I had, you know, and I was like, I'm not going to do it unless it's okay with, with Anthony. But um, ultimately, in the end, as it kept going, I did do the song with Sia, and, and, and it kept going, but it, it, was, it always needed to be this. I always knew it from day one, even though it was tough. Because the, the thing that she did say to me was, I don't want to use, and I think every writer here can relate to this, uh, you know, she didn't want to make us... She didn't want to sugarcoat the, the thing. If she said something different, like, you know, the, the flowers are dying inside of me or something like this, she said, you know, these themes are uncomfortable. 
And if I don't make it uncomfortable, then there's not going to be any change. And, and so that's why. And then ultimately, I think it just, like, I, I got Louis on the, the right day. There was someone there that was a big fan of Anthony that was, like, I think, you know, paying for one of the projection events or something. And she was like, oh, my God, you got, you got Anthony and to, to, to be in this. And then... And I think I, I said, I said, we got to do it as the end title. You can't end on a high note. This is not like if, if, if you end on an anthemic song, then everyone's like, oh, cool, there's no problem. Speech distinction is all sorted. We don't need to do anything. So it was you inspire people with the possibility of change, but then they still need to hear this thing that there's, there's real work to be done. You know? Well, one thing I should just add since it was mentioned is that Anthony now Anoni is only the second trans person ever nominated for an Oscar. Yes. So that's co your co-nominee. Let's... And wait, I should clarify yeah. the second only out person, if that's you will. That's true. Like, we because, don't. Who you knows? Know, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a great, you know, it's a great honor. It's a great visibility for, you know, little kids and people all over the world that are thinking that they don't matter and they don't, you know, I don't think stuff. any out gay person has won an Oscar. Is that right? Ever. Uh, Ian McKellen did a big Oh, oh really? Yeah. yeah. Or in in an certainly in some of well, the specific categories. So let's talk about the placement, which is very obviously thought out as we've just heard in, in the case of Josh's song, where the song appears in, in your film and how it's used, not only where it appears, the function of it. So David, Simple Song 3 was in the film written by the protagonist when he was young. Right. He's now being asked to play it when he's old. It has a different meaning. And we see throughout the film that there are these hints at it, but we don't actually hear it right. until the end. Can you talk about the hints and also the placement at the end? Well, it's mentioned in the very first scene in the movie. They talk about the existence of this song. They talk about it throughout the whole movie. It leads up to it, you know, so that at the end you get to hear it. I mean, no pressure, right? <laughs> um, but because I wrote the score, also I was trying to figure out how to sort of treat it like an opera. So I treated these little motives that would point to it so that whenever there was something that Michael Caine, that his character was doing, you felt like um, you were in the presence of music in his imagination, how he's talking to himself emotionally. So um, there are scenes where he crinkles the candy wrappers, and those are the rhythm from the opening of the song, and there's a, the scene where he goes out into the forest and he conducts the cows out of his imagination, and that's the harmony from the second part of the song. Yeah, I really wanted it to feel like when the song shows up that you realize that you've been with this character the entire movie. So. Um, so it would feel natural. And then I believe you were very happy with the idea of Sumi performing at the end, right? Can you talk about why that was uh, somebody who was a great fit? Well, I also thought um, they talk about him in the movie as being a world-class composer, so I was really adamant, you know, you have to believe him. It's that not often play. that composers are shown in films, you know. It's like it's a great opportunity to show that... Um, you know, this world exists. So um, so I said, you know, everybody he works with has to be a world-class musician. So the singer um, is, you know, this incredibly um, titanic opera superstar. Um, the violinist who plays the solo at the end is Victoria Malova, who's a very famous violinist living in England. The orchestra is the BBC Concert Orchestra, which is one of the great orchestras in London. And, you know, I really wanted to make sure that if he's supposed to be great, then his real-life collaborators should also be great. Be great. Yeah. yeah. Sam and Jimmy, your song plays in the opening sequence of the film and sort of sets, in that sense, a, a tone for what follows. Can you talk about why that was important and also how much pressure that may add to the deal? I know you said pressure was not the thing in terms of getting the song, but you know now that the film is starting off with you guys. Yeah, well, it's, um, it sets the tone for the whole film and it's it's always such an exciting part of every Bond film where you get that opening sequence and the amazing imagery and the world's most expensive music video, basically. <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen the opening sequence? Of course. It's amazing. I think it's the most ridiculous sequence it's I've ever seen amazing. in my life. Yeah, the helicopter is unreal. What yeah. was really cool is when Sam Mendes said, you know, would it be okay if we used part of the song actually in the film itself? And there's another clip when it, the love scene on the train mm -hmm. and the strings kick back in and that was really exciting to hear that in the film. But the title sequence as well, he, um, it was, I work, um, when I write music, I think of, it's after I've done the song, I can give all of my songs colours. It's really weird, <laughs> but every single song I can give a colour. Mm -hmm. But he said to me, Sam, when he was talking about the title sequence he said it's going to be um, an octopus and he kept talking about the colours purple so I feel like this song is a purple song if you listen to it and um, it's dark 
dark and I don't know. There's some, it's purple. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And the that, orchestrations are amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's, 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 I want to so say that um, Simon, so that Simon Hale needs yeah, to take recognition for that. He, he did a beautiful job and he brought it to life. It's, it's so amazing. weird that you think that I always see a color with songs. Yeah. Always. Even with people. Synesthesia. Synesthesia. It means you, you equate colors with sound. Yeah. And, and if you wow. see the colors, it's usually yeah. because your oral and optic nerves are very close, like juxtaposed on yeah. top of each other. That's so interesting. That makes me that. feel good to hear that there's a thing. Right. You're not alone. Thank you. not alone. <laughs> well, that's a movie that begins with your song. Now, in the case of The Hunting Round, the movie, people go out on your song, and this is the last thing they are hearing and thinking about. But there's another place in it, which, and, was, which uh, of is course. in the middle of the movie. Oh my God, remember when you were, when yeah. you, it was so painful, like because it, it had to be in this one section in the movie. I feel that it influenced the, the writing of the song as well. Because Where it would once be. we, once I, anyway, for me, yeah, yeah. once I was aware that it might be in the end, it was, I think, it, I mean, they were said it would be, but you know, you just never know. You always want it to be great, right? So. For me, like there was this um, this part, the part at the end, of, till it happens to you, happens to you, right? That part at the end. When it was at the end, when we were doing the middle of this of the movie. It's almost a different. thing. It was like it? she's like, play it soft, be sad. It's like the you know, and I must have played this song five hundred, a thousand times. I mean, I mean, I just that's how I make music. I mean, I play it over and over. And when I write, sometimes I do the write the melody thing, but. You know, first just and then hear it and recording, but I usually don't. I I have to hear myself singing the melody uh, after it's been recorded, and then when I hear myself after I've sang it, I it's sort of like I imagine it like a wall. You know, it is like a wall of sound, and I can like see where it's missing, and I know I like look. I'm like listening to it, going, oh, that would be better if it went up there and if it went down there, and you know, it's missing some length here, and this part's too short. It's almost like I can see it, you know? You and see colors. Yeah, I see, well, of course we all do, don't we? We see colors and images, but what for the end it? of the song, I said, for the end of the movie, I said, if this is gonna be at the end, after all of that, these women need to leave, like, marching Defined. out like the Beatles, you know? I mean, it needs to be like Sergeant Pepper you. all yeah. the way. Yeah. Fuck you. And, you know, this song needs to be, you know, you know, David Bowie and Janis Joplin, and it needs to be, like, a little fucked up. And yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. I don't mean to curse on your we podcast. Welcome it's okay. We welcome but, you know, it's, 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 I think that it, where a song goes in a film is important. And also, the score, you know. But when it was in earlier, it was a whole different thing because it was so vulnerable and, like, you just, you, it you're just seeing what So you calibrate it to where it's needed. But at the end, it really does send people out on, you're not going home. No, you're not uh, a victim. You're a, a victim. It, you're, you're a, a survivor. survivor. And also, I yeah. thought Lucky that Stephen O'Remus's, you know, gut instincts with the strings were really powerful. Right. You know, they're they're sinister and, a little bit strange and awkward, and they're they make you feel instantly like when I, I knew when he played almost. it for me, and and the, the 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 strings section that he brought in, they were really magnificent, and I was there producing it, so I was speaking to all of them before they played those parts, and I said to them, I don't need it to be perfect, I just need you to put the saddest thing that's ever happened to you into this moment, because. I said, I, I don't, it's really hard. I know this sounds really awful sitting here at this Oscars round table, but there were really days that I did not want to sing it and I didn't want to finish and I wanted to go home. And I was like, I don't want to do this interview right now and I don't want to, and, and Diane was like, it's for a good cause and she's right. And I care I, about that same thing, but you know, with this issue, till it happens to you, you don't know how it feels, you know? And then suddenly I'm a spokesperson for something that I didn't even admit to myself happened until I was 27 years old, wow. you know? And like, then it's all this pressure to sing it and be authentic and, you know, and all I wanted to do was make sure, like, you know, like just like you were talking about, that every person that plays on the song is thinking about what the fuck they're saying while they're doing it, and it's not just, play these chords and that feels good and just do it again. It's it's capturing a moment between people that are uh, having a real life experience. It was really spiritual working with Diane. And we've never written a song like 
in this way together before. All right. the other songs we've written together, I should, maybe shouldn't say that. All the other songs we've written right. together, we've written differently. But this yeah. one, you know, she, I'm sorry, I just have to say this yeah, one yeah, because please, I have to please, hand it yes. to her. Um, when you were talking about your experience with the songwriter and the lyrics, you know, I really wanted all these like dark lyrics in those verses, you know? And Diane was like, I, no, no. No. Because Zayn, you're thinking it, you want it to have as universal uh, I did. Under, so that it doesn't only apply to somebody who's been sexually assaulted. I did. I, I wanted the song to, to like, obviously the most important thing is that it, that it is the anthem for this, it's, it, it, which it's become. It's become an anthem literally where people were, you know, I got on a plane, you know, and the, stu the, the flight attendant hugged me and wouldn't let me go and said, thank you, the song saved my life. And I know you're getting stuff like that too. But what the, you know? the, the simplest change for me was that, like, instead of having those lyrics be dark instead we made it don't know how it feels to, at the end don't know how I feel right and she and, and we thought about that because she she you know likes everything to be symmetrical and all that <laughs> but you know but <laughs> OCD. it was OCD so important w. to me and I, I just I learned so much working with her about restraint and then it was almost kind of like it worked out in the long run for the music because I was kind of really rebellious the whole right. time all of these songs have have really made a major impact in a variety of ways. I think, David, you've introduced classical music to a lot of people who might not have ever been exposed worse. to it. No, yeah. it's great. It's and better. you know, if we look at the the music videos that that you guys have all put out and the chart placements in Billboard and elsewhere, it's just markedly reaching people and making an impact. But the question that I want to ask each of you is: Can a song actually change the world? Can it make a major difference beyond you know? touching people, moving them, but can it lead to real change? And Sam, can we start with you? Oh my God, 100%, 100 million percent. Um, I, my only thing is it doesn't happen overnight. And um, it's the songs that stick around, I think, that do that. And the songs that, you know, 20, 30 years down the line, you, you still listen to and they still feel fresh and they hit you in the same way, mm -hmm. lyrically. It's about being timeless when you're writing your music. That's what I believe. And. Jimmy, do you care to echo on that? I mean, your songs have certainly touched a lot of people. Yeah, I always just go on the basis of like, I trust my um, hairs on my arms, you know, mm -hmm. if, if they stand up and I, f I feel something and I really, I, I can honestly say that it was, I was being as true and honest and personal as possible and writing lyrics especially, then it's a chance that other people will connect with them the same way. So that's kind of, yeah, absolutely, yes, is the answer to your question. <laughs> and Josh, what your film has done is very interesting with showing projections of species and things all over at the Vatican on buildings. How do you gauge whether or not it's, it's truly making it? I, I think it's what Jimmy said. I think you can only ever write to, in hope to encapsulate some personal moment because uh, I don't think anyone at this table is really writing stuff for an audience, I, I say per se, because I think that just, you can do that as a trade, and it, it'll just kind of live its life and go away. But as Sam said, I mean, if you write and offer something very personal and authentic or something that you believe or have something to say, then it's, it's going to die or it's going to go and live for 100 years. But it's, it's real, and you've given something real. And once you do that, then that's the best. That's all you can really hope to do. Seven. Same thing. I mean, I, I base it all on, on emotion and, and the feeling where you, you walk out you're, from the studio, you're obsessed with the song and you live and breathe it uh, day and night. It's all you hear in your head. Earned It was really unique because uh, when it came time to producing that song, it was in December. And I love, love, love Christmas music. I love, I love old Christmas music. Andy Williams, Nat King Cole, that was one of my favorite Christmas albums of all time. And the reverbs that Nat was using, uh, the classic reverbs, was something that I was trying to simulate as well on that record. Um, you know, it, it, so, you know, great music has to resonate. I mean, Joni Mitchell said it, you have to move yourself before you move the world. So it's how, if you don't, then it's not going to hang around for a long time. Otherwise, it's just it's disposable. And, and there's, there's room for that. But I think you know, we're sitting here with incredible artists at this table. And we, we all know that we're, we, we, we got into this game not to make money. We came into this game to move people. And I know that about all of you. Uh, I just feel that. I'm just getting to know you. Diane, I've been a huge fan of yours. Thank clearly. You. And, 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 you know, as a little kid myself, I was, you know, from the age of three when I, my first piano lesson to now, I mean, 
I just did it because music was my crutch. It got me away from, from a lot of sad things going on in my life. And, and it's the only thing I wanted to do. Never did it for any no other reason. No plan B, huh? David, one of the things that you can really offer an interesting perspective on as a student of music history and classical music and a teacher of it is what's the answer in history of that? Oh, that yes. Well, now I am <laughs> the long hair at the table. Um, Great glasses, I, by the way. Oh, thank you very yes. much. Yeah. I, I really just want to second what everybody else yeah. says rather than yeah. speak for you know the history of my discipline. Okay. Whatever, right. you know? Because I feel like you know, music, words connect people in ways that we understand. Like we understand what a word means. Mm -hmm. We understand what an image is. Words are very powerful. Words are powerful, but music, I think, connects people in ways which is really fundamental mm -hmm. and really, um, you know, kind of emotional like in cellularly. ways that we can't put our fingers on. Mm -hmm. and it to, draws your attention to the words, doesn't yeah, well, it? it? Because it, it's like, look at these words. Well, it, 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 it makes you feel them. It right. adds the emotion right. to the words. It makes them deeper. Mm -hmm. It makes them more powerful. Yes, yeah, so like the music's the intent. Yeah. Behind the words. And so what I feel like about the music is I feel like, you know, we are in the world we're all hungry for connections to other people. You know, we're all essentially lonely, you know. And I think we need to feel like we live in a world where we're connected to everybody else. And I think that that's what a song does. Yeah. Diane, how many songs that have resonated with masses of people I've never been involved thought. in a song. Like, I know I've had a lot of big songs and a lot of big, yeah. you know, hit records and hit songs. Never in my life has um, a song resonated so deeply in, that I've seen with so many people. And you know that as well in your own life to where, look, I mean, to where I give you the example of the flight attendant. Of, I met Joe, Joe Biden, the vice president, who had tears in his eyes talking to me about the song. I mean, someone wrote me a note that I grew up with on my street going, you didn't know this, but I was raped when I was a, a kid. To, to even my own experience, I blur, like, like I blurted out that I was molested in front of the, remember we did that? I never, I didn't even tell my, I mean, I told my mom later in life, but I didn't tell my dad, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody. My friend to this day does not know that her dad molested me. It's fucked me up for life. It's still fucked me up. Mm -hmm. I don't care any therapy, I don't care what you have, you know, and so so the fact that, that this song, you know, can can it, it's I I mean not to sound um, conceited, I know the song is changing things. I know it's becoming an anthem. I know people because of it are being able to talk about something that was in a in the shadows in a closet and it's no longer anywhere. It, it, it's no longer there. It's out and people are talking about it. And Gaga, to close this out, I mean, you've had a, a number of instances like this, including Born This Way, I know is a, one that's made a huge impact for a lot of people, and your legions of fans, you know, speak to this, but I guess for you, any parting thoughts you have on this topic? You know, I think a song, yes, it has to be classic, and yes, it has to stand the test of time, and in a hundred years or ten years, it has to sound fresh. But it, in my opinion, when I'm working, I almost never allow anything on my records that aren't brave. Because if it's not a little bit brave, I just don't think it's cool. I'm not interested. I have to think about myself as a music fan and what turns me on. Or even brave for you, something different that like, Maybe, like, you might question. it might be, but for me, I need to feel that it's brave. And I need to feel, also I think, for me, I think great artists well, I shouldn't say great artists, polite artists. Polite artists bring the past and their discipline into the future, like in suitcases with them, to just make sure that all that technique and understanding of music um, is rooted in what we're going to do tomorrow. Because the thing is, is with all these computers and making music on computers now, you know, it's just not the same as live instruments. It's just not, and I can say that because I make electronic music, so I know. You know, and when I ask my guys to trigger uh, samples off of a, uh, a, a, a live drum kit because I don't want to do it um, just with an MPC or, you know, with MIDI, it's because I, you know, don't care to quantize things and just make it all, like, with no emotion. And I've been in, t in too many studios and watched it happen on major records, and I'm just going, like, that's not music. And I, all my records, all of them, since the beginning, even my most electronic music was triggered by live musicians most of the time. And if it wasn't, it was deliberately chosen to be that way. We didn't get locked into a new protocol. And um, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think about a lot of things when <laughs> I write songs. And it's really not just to be classic because, you know, working on this David Bowie tribute, for example, you know, I'm going through all his music 
you know, like arguing basically. You know, I don't, I don't mean actually arguing, but me and Niall Rogers, I'm like, but Niall, we have to do this song, and he's like, but no, we only have six minutes. And, you know, it's like this whole thing, and it's, it's because, you know what? Some of the best songs that have changed my life were not number one records, and I want to write those songs too. It was the songs that made me feel a part of a subculture and a lifestyle that I belong to, and I hope that what was important to me with Diane with this song is that, you know, I wanted to like it. Because I know that's selfish, maybe, no, but, but you have I to, really you have wanted to, like it, to like it because I was sexually assaulted. So I needed to feel like whoever was singing it and Authentic. every moment of it was like, I believe her. And if it wasn't that, I didn't want to make it at all. Well, we can't thank you enough for sharing so much about yourselves and your process. and. I think on behalf of everybody who's going to listen to this, thank you all so much for doing this. Really well, appreciate thank you, it. Scott. Thank thanks, you. Megan. Thank thanks, you. thanks, Scott, for, for making a big deal about the songs. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it was so nice to be here with all of you. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really it's such an honor. To meet you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.